insolvent and in crisis or under attack and being prepared for privatization. The Accident Compensation Corporation has been funding injury prevention schemes, accident treatment and rehabilitation for 35 years. But with the government promising major changes to the no-fault scheme by year's end, just what is the future of the ACC? Political reporter Julian Robbins investigates. It's unique to New Zealand and covers everyone for just about any accident that can happen. If someone in your family got injured, you'd want whatever is best for them. And that's what ACC provides, by making sure that an injured person receives the treatment and support they need. ACC covers everyone in New Zealand, whether they're working or not working. It doesn't matter Each how year, ACC is. handles about 1.8 million claims, pays for more than 3 million physiotherapy visits and 200,000 sessions of vocational rehabilitation. And all that comes at a cost. Well, the liabilities of the corporation are $22 billion. Its assets are 10. Uh, that's an organisation that's effectively insolvent. The ACC Minister, Nick Smith. Since taking on the job when National came to power last November, Dr Smith has made something of a habit of releasing bad news about the corporation. In early March, he painted a bleak picture of future levy rises. The average worker would need to pay $1,400 a year extra in five years' time if there was no change in policy or the law. You can easily work out that if these levy increases come to pass, it's kiss goodbye uh, to any sort of tax cut. Uh, obviously getting extra money in New Zealanders' pockets is an important part of the government's programme and that is a further reason uh, why making change in ACC is critical. The raw numbers do make for worrying reading. There was the $1.5 billion hole in the non-earners account for the next four years, now filled by government borrowing. Costs have risen from $1.4 billion in 2000 to $3.2 billion today, increasing on average by about 12% a year. And now the world economic crisis is hitting ACC's investment returns hard. Nick Smith. Costs have been increasing for a long time at rates three or four times the rate of inflation. That was hidden by the fact that investment returns were super healthy and so it didn't look too bad. And suddenly when the investment returns went south, costs continued to rise, you had almost the perfect storm around ACC's finances. Unless we can get on top of that underlying big increase in costs, then ultimately the levies that people pay for ACC will go through the roof. Dr Smith says costs simply must be contained. One of the problems within ACC is that during Labor's time, they've sort of moved it from being an insurance-based scheme, where you pay a levy based on risk, uh, into more of a welfare scheme. Uh, and that has added substantially to the cost. We had another set of extensions uh, introduced last July. So I'm having to have a relook at that. Uh, but the overall strategy is obviously the first preference, is to try and get efficiency gains, improvements in rehabilitation, those sorts of things that result in less pressure on the liabilities and ultimately the levies without actually impacting on the level of cover. The message from Nick Smith and the government is clear. ACC's finances are a mess and something's got to give. But how accurate is that message? Well, I think it's extravagant. It's a nonsense. Labor's ACC spokesperson David Parker. On their definition of insolvency, ACC has never been solvent because they are now defining insolvency to be not having enough money in the bucket now to pay for the whole of the life of claims that might last 40 years. ACC has never been in that situation. It was never set up to be in that situation. Having said that, we agree that it's desirable to move towards 
more pre-funding rather than less. But as I said previously, the percentage that's pre-funded has grown over time from 36% in, I think it was, in 1999 to uh, 55% now. David Parker says despite the government's rhetoric, the fundamentals of ACC remain strong. That's a view shared by Hazel Armstrong, the spokesperson for the newly launched lobby group, the ACC Futures Coalition. There's been a lot of misinformation and inflammatory language being used by Nick Smith in particular, the new chair of the ACC, and the northern employers and manufacturers. They're using inflated terms like insolvency. They're exaggerating the costs of claims. And one of the purposes of the coalition is to correct inaccurate information. I think the kind of philosophy behind what Nick Smith is doing is to exaggerate the problems, to set alarm bells in people's minds when in fact actually the scheme is being run efficiently, it's cheaper than other schemes, comparable, well there's no comparable schemes, but it's cheaper than work-related schemes anywhere else in the world. The President of the Council of Trade Unions, Helen Kelly, also defends the status quo. Obviously it's got some challenges in terms of its increased costs and some of the return on its investments, but it's not at all in crisis and I think commentary over the last few weeks has really questioned that quite continuously and Nick Smith hasn't been able to counter the the real facts in ACC. Helen Kelly says ACC is a good system and is good for the country. It's incredibly effective and the Price Waterhouse um, review showed that as a scheme as a percentage, you know, per dollar, per income paid. It's an incredibly cheap scheme and it's cheap also in that it saves the state money in terms of getting people back to work, having full rehabilitation. There's a social benefit as well as an, a direct employer benefit. I think what people don't realise about ACC is it covers everybody. It covers your kids at school when they fall off the bars. It covers your old parents at home if they fall over and hurt themselves. It covers you at work. It covers you when you're break your leg skiing or playing rugby or whatever it is, it really is a very comprehensive scheme. And without it, we'd all have to have insurance. And so doing it this way makes it very cost effective. Helen Kelly's predecessor at the CTU was the now former chairperson of the ACC board, Ross Wilson. He was sacked by Nick Smith along with four other board members. Dr Smith says he had plenty of reasons for moving against the board. The first was that the new government had a new direction for ACC with a strong focus on cost containment and the skill mix on the old board was not right for that sort of objective. Secondly, the global meltdown in finances, in my view, meant for an organisation that's got $10 billion worth of investments that I really needed top-flight investment skills on that board to make sure that we were getting the right decisions around that investment. And the third issue and reason for changes in the board was that there was a loss of confidence by me. I came in as Minister with a briefing that made absolutely no mention of a $300 million blowout and the briefing to the incoming Minister signed off by the board and yet within days had to make urgent decisions to rattle around and try and find huge sums of money to try and prop up a key account with an ACC. In my view, it was not acceptable that that problem in the non-earners account was not covered in the briefing to the incoming minister and the old board needs to take some responsibility for that omission. But one SAC director, Wayne Butson, defends the former board. I think that some of the comments that have been made in terms of the skills on the ACC board were very, very unfair. 
Uh, in fact, I thought the skill set on the board was very comprehensive. We had people-type uh, representation from myself, workers, right through to some of the most highly skilled financial people uh, in New Zealand. And so I don't think that the comments were in any way justified. Ross Wilson is declining interviews, but in a letter to Dr Smith just days before his sacking, he wrote... If you wish to change the board, that's fine. However, we do not accept any inference that the board's members have been responsible for a significant deterioration in ACC's financial position. The letter argues that ACC's financial issues are being driven by reduced investment returns due to the global recession, new accountancy rules and legislative and policy changes. It states that just 20% of ACC's $9 billion jump in liabilities over the last three years was able to be influenced by the board. The board's financial government has been excellent. It is of concern to the board that, at your request, it's been unable to respond to any public commentary on its performance. The accusation of silencing the board was lent weight when Nick Smith turned up in place of the new board chairperson, John Judge, at a select committee meeting on March the 12th. The idea that a chair can delegate for minister role is something I've never heard of. Dr Smith told the committee Mr Judge, who he had named as chairperson just days earlier, was unavailable and had asked him to put in his apologies. But the minister's appearance outraged opposition MPs. Uh, Point of order. No, you can't take point a point of order. Well, I'll take a point of order. You're a witness. No, 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 he cannot take a point of order. Well, I take offence at the allegation against the board. He cannot take offence, he cannot make a point of order. Labour accused Dr Smith of trying to act not only as board chairperson, but talk in place of the chief executive, Jan White, as well. But Labour's David Parker did elicit some information from her. Have you uh, ever advised the Board of Accident Compensation that uh, Accident Compensation Corporation is insolvent? Uh, no. Uh, have you ever advised the Department of Labour that the Accident Compensation Corporation is insolvent? Uh, no. So, obviously, you don't think that Accident Compensation Corporation is insolvent? Well, that was a clever question. I think uh, it depends on your definition of solvent whether it's in the commercial sense or whatever. Certainly I have advised the Board and the Department of Labour about solvency ratios in in different accounts, which relates particularly to the amount of funding versus the assets in those accounts. But uh, that's been a situation in ACC in its format since it was actually formed. Labour maintains that Nick Smith bungled the sacking of Ross Wilson and argues he was technically still the ACC chair at the time of the meeting. But the new chairperson, former Ernst & Young Chief Executive John Judge, finally appeared before the select committee several weeks later. He warned that ACC's liabilities will increase significantly at the end of the financial year. I have spent quite a lot of time examining papers and some of the discussions on the calculation of the liabilities, and it's my professional opinion that they are materially understated. You know, Things like superimposed inflation, which is the inflation that the costs of the scheme tend to have above general inflation in New Zealand. For the last 10 years, it's been running at 6%, and the valuation, I think it's for four years at 5%, and then it's one after that. That is an heroic assumption. John Judge and the new board held their first conference call last week and meet for the first time at the end of the month. Business New Zealand's Manager of Employment Relations, Paul Mackay, says the board will reflect the new government's approach, as it should. If you look at any government agency, be it SO or the other, there's always a tinge 
or a tint of the government of the day in terms of, of seats at the board, and that won't change, and in fact neither should it. But people then have to expect that there will be changes if there's a change of government, not because people are good or bad or competent or incompetent, but simply because there's a need to reflect the essence of the government policy, and the change itself is a signal of that. Paul Mackay believes ACC has lost its way. Crisis is probably too strong a word. It certainly needs a, a substantial revisiting of basics. If we go to the actual act that governs it, the Injury Prevention Rehabilitation Compensation Act, I think a lot of people will argue, and certainly a lot of the businesses we talk to would argue, that it's starting to get the, uh, the order wrong. The emphasis on prevention, the emphasis on injury seems to have been lost. Um, Nick Smith said recently that it seems to become more of a social welfare than an insurance or risk management agency. We agree with that. And in fact, I'd even go further and say that the way it's working now, it's not responsive to the effort that employers put in, for instance, to reduce injury. And so it's actually functioning as much as a tax gathering mechanism as well as being a social agency because people are simply being charged fees or levies but they can't influence the level of them because the effort they put into reducing injuries doesn't show up in their levies. So has ACC become overly ambitious? Did, as Nick Smith argues, the previous government allow the scope of the scheme to get out of hand? Paul Mackay again. The extension of Schedule 2, which covers the occupational diseases and things, the shifting of the onus of proof on the employer, uh, the addition of things like asthma and so on, are all big issues in terms of extending the potential cost of the system to users, because there's a lot of inherent cost in there. The latency, for instance, for things like asthma and dermatitis and things like that are all issues that we don't know the cost of because they haven't manifested. Uh, if you take asthma, Many, many people, children and the like, have incipient asthma throughout their lives, but it doesn't really show up unless it's exacerbated by something. They go to the workplace, they might get exposed to some form of chemical that irritates it, it shows up, and under the present rules, the ones that the last government introduced, those issues are now initially classified as workplace-caused, and the employer has to show that it's not. That's not easy. So what we're ending up with is a bit of a shifting of the burden of cost and proof onto employers. The government singles out changes to physiotherapy rules and the move from medical misadventure to treatment of medical-related injuries as areas that have sent costs ballooning. Physio costs alone have gone from $58 million in 2004 to $139 million this year, since the establishment of what's known as an endorsed provider network, or EPN. There is general agreement that physio costs have to be reined in, as ACC Chief Executive Jan White acknowledged when questioned by MPs. Do you accept that that strategy has failed? Yes. Okay. So what do you plan to do to control those costs? Well, I think, as you've probably been seeing in the publicity, we're certainly having an urgent teleconference with the new board with the recommendation from management that that EPN be abolished. Okay. Um, we have to give six months' notice of that, and we'll be working with the physiotherapists on how we are going to control the costs and how they're going to be funded. So, so it's possible that ACC might exit from those contracts? We will, if the board agrees, we will give notice that the EPN will be ceased. The government's reviewing other Labour decisions too, including the extension of coverage to those who suffer mental trauma at work and workers who are injured between jobs. But Hazel Armstrong of the ACC Futures Coalition defends the current scope of the corporation. One of the extensions of the scheme was around lump sum for people with 
asbestos-related disease. And it always struck me as unfair that the guys who had built our houses uh, in the 1960s, when there was a lot of asbestos sheeting, and so, you know, you look at nine-eye hills of asbestos, <laughs> you know, houses with asbestos roofs and floors and, I mean, walls. And these guys now are getting asbestos-related diseases, and some of them are terminal. And there was no lump sum for those guys. And yes, it is costing tens of millions, but that's fair. They worked as part of um, New Zealand society to build our houses, and yes, we should compensate them. That is a legitimate extension of the scheme. Nick Smith's changes to ACC coverage will be unveiled later in the year when the government introduces reform legislation. Labor's David Parker fears it will gut the scheme. We have to go back to 1999 when the national government last left office and think about what ACC was like then. There were many people who thought that the cuts in the scope of cover that had been made to 1999 were so severe as to be unjust and people were questioning the social contract that underlies ACC. Remember, people gave up their right to sue for work accidents and replaced it with ACC cover. If you're too miserable as to the scope of your ACC cover, people say, I don't want that, please return my right to sue because it's unfair that I get inadequate compensation. And I'll give you what I, what I think is a, a good example. Until recently, people who were seasonal workers but had an out-of-season accident, and let's take an example, someone might have been hit by a drunk driver, no fault of theirs, until recently their earnings-related compensation was calculated on a short period prior to their accident. So if they had an out-of-season accident, then their seasonal earnings, which could you know, be virtually their only earnings for the year, were ignored. But Labour's main concern is with National's election policy to investigate the reintroduction of competition for workplace coverage. David Parker says that would be privatisation pure and simple and would create a complicated, unwieldy scheme. Private insurers are also very effective at identifying where the profitable parts of the scheme lie and where the unprofitable parts of the scheme lie. It's inevitable in a big scheme like this that there will be some instances of cross-subsidisation. That, on a grand scale, is a bad thing, but on a small scale it's the price of efficiency. Uh, and we do have it in a small scale in ACC where there are some people, some classes of employees, do have effectively a higher rate than is necessary for them, and someone else will be having a lower rate. But overall, all of the rates are substantially lower than under the alternative private-based system. When you get private insurers ferreting away, finding the areas where they can provide marginally cheaper cover, and they'll no doubt find one or two little areas, they will leave the more expensive areas with the Crown, and I think the fundamentals of the scheme will over time be eroded. The CTU's Helen Kelly says privatisation by the last national government did nothing for workers' safety. What we discovered in the 1990s when there was a system where the fewer accidents you had, the less you paid, was that that didn't actually drive down the level of accidents or increase health and safety. What increases health and safety, improves it, is proper schemes and systems within the workplace and proper monitoring and enforcement uh, within the Department of Labour. So we want to keep ACC as a full insurance scheme covering everybody with no fault 24 hours and we think that any sort of... A levy linked to an experience or claims actually creates perverse incentives, incentives for employers to shift accidents from the workplace to the home or let's say that's where they occurred, incentives for accidents not to be notified or not to be treated properly. 
Labour and the union movement accused Nick Smith of exaggerating problems at ACC to create a sense of crisis, justifying what they say are Nationals' privatisation plans. But Nick Smith insists changes to the work account are not a priority, and that point was emphasised by the board chairperson, John Judge. We had all of a 30-second conversation on this issue, where it was quite clear in terms of my view, expressed to the Minister on what were the important issues facing the ACC, and, and his view, this was just simply not something that I needed to have on the agenda at present. And, and so, do you say <coughs> that, that was his view? Yes. Okay. So you, you, you've, you've essentially agreed with the Minister that this is not a priority? Yes, and if he changes his mind and makes it a priority, then it will become so. John Judge agrees with the Minister that ACC overall is insolvent, but told MPs the work account is in good shape. At the end of this year, I think the projections are to be roughly in balance. Now, my view is that those sort of accounts should be in surplus, and the reason they should be in surplus is precisely to deal with the sort of issue that's being dealt with at the moment of the, of the effect of the financial implosion around the world. Um, but to be in that position at this quite important time is very good. It is very good, thank you. And do you, do you understand that rehabilitation rates in New Zealand are at least on par with Australian rehabilitation rates? <coughs> yes, I do. So if the scheme was to be changed in the way it's funded through or, or organised, and we were comparing Australia with outcomes, it's unlikely that rehabilitation rates would get a lot better looking at the Australian experience? I, I don't have, um, and haven't done any reading on that issue, so it's not possible. To do, do, do you know that whether New Zealand uh, employer premiums are substantially lower in New Zealand than they are in Australia? Yes, I do know that they are lower. But Paul Mackay from Business New Zealand says comparisons with overseas are not straightforward. It's difficult to compare New Zealand's no-fault system because it's pretty unique. In fact, there's probably nothing exactly like it. At the unit level, you could say that some people will pay less in different countries for risk management, but then the level and extent of cover that they get may be less too. So the comparisons are not easy. There's no direct point-to-point -point comparison with New Zealand and the rest. I think we are justifiably, should be justifiably proud of having the kind of comprehensive no-fault approach. I believe that we can certainly get better value out of the system in comparison with other countries, but that does require that the system itself then becomes responsive to what people do. So a company that puts effort into reducing injuries, uh, rehabilitating people quickly and so on, should see a, a result in terms of what they pay because they're reducing the risk to the nation, they're reducing the cost to the nation, and they should, that should be reflected in what they end up paying. At the present, that doesn't do that. So there's one clear difference between the current system and a pure insurance model. But that's not to say that you adopt the insurance model, or maybe you simply adopt some of the principles that underlie uh, risk insurance, which is that it's responsive to how well you manage the risk. And Paul Mackay sees potential advantages to a competitive model. The hot debate for the coming weeks and months is the extent to which competition will enhance the value of ACC. I think the short answer is that there's no one single answer. A simple return to the fully privatised model may not be better than a partially privatised model or issues of simply contestability in various aspects of it. There are arguments, for instance, that the government would be better to concentrate on the insurance uh, and cost aspects and the levy setting aspects and leaving others to, to look at and compete for the actual service provision. There are arguments, certainly the insurance industry, I, I guess, would, would want to put up arguments in favour of, of uh, managing the risk side as well. 
I think the government sensibly has said that it will not actually make a call on that until it's had a good look at the options and looked for the value. I think that's sensible. So is ACC now on the road to privatisation? It's a question that frustrates Nick Smith, who insists that Labour and the media are obsessed with privatisation, while he is focused on fixing ACC. The pros of competition is that it puts extra choice for employers who feel they're not getting a fair deal out of the levies that they pay to ACC. The downside is the complexity of having more than one funder of services for people that have accidents. And secondly, there is the complications that are associated with an insurance company wanting to pick the eyes or the, or the profitable bits out of the overall ACC model and leaving the difficult bits for the Crown. It's a very complex exercise, uh, and it's not something that the government has high on its agenda. That is one of the arguments at the last point you raise, that opponents raise. They say that that would privatise the profit and socialise the loss or the risk. Look, it is absolutely true that introducing competition into ACC is very complex. That is why the government has said it's not a first-order priority. We have got far bigger challenges in ACC. It is only possible, really, in the work account. That's only about 20% of the overall ACC. It's the other 80% that's actually in the biggest financial pickle, and so that's why we want to put our priorities there. And so this work is not being given any priority, and I've given absolutely no direction to the new board and all other officials in respect of advancing that work. How long do you think it will take to sort out your first-order priorities, and does that make a realistic option for the second-order priority of competition being looked at this term? My first priority has been the reconfiguration of the board, getting top-level skills that are able to manage this organisation through the big challenges around cost management and some of the other changes that are going to be required. The second priority for me is working on an ACC reform bill. If I do not get an ACC bill through the Parliament this year, I am going to be facing some pretty ugly levy increases at the end of the year for the next round of levy setting. I think that work will keep us pretty busy for 2009. In terms of the broader financial picture and the stock take, which National has made a higher priority, I think that's going to be a key piece of work that will take us into 2010. Uh, There are questions around the way in which we manage the investment portfolios that we want to work through. So in my one to two year time frame and achievements that we want to nail in ACC, it is unlikely that we're going to get into the investigation of competition and the work account uh, until some years down the track. That would put any moves towards private competition off the agenda until at least 2011, and that's an election year. Labour would fancy its chances of making political capital out of a campaign fought against the backdrop of privatisation. David Parker believes National could be having second thoughts. Well, I think they've been very resistant to dropping that idea, despite the fact that it's unpopular. I think the response that they have had from the media and uh, many employers who see employers overseas paying higher premiums in their private-based system is giving them cause for thought as to whether they still wish to risk political damage from pursuing what I think patently would be an unwise course. But that could be wishful thinking on David Parker's part. Nick Smith may not have it at the top of his agenda right now, but National has long signalled its intent to change the accident compensation system. It's unlikely to jettison its interest in the competitive model any time soon. That programme was written and presented by Julian Robbins. Technical production was by Colette Chapman and the producer was Sue Ingram.